Free Podcast for uh, the beginning of December. We'll we'll say it's yeah, it's, uh, fairly enough uh, the beginning of December. And uh, with me today on the show are two of my favorite people, uh, Ron Gilbert and Gary Winnick. And uh, if you guys would like to say hello, hello, I, how you doing? I uh, I just didn't want to be like you know nothing happens and everybody assumes I'm lying for a minute or something. Um, but, uh, we, we could be anybody, but okay. That's uh, you know I hadn't thought of that. So yeah, pr- prove we're who you say. You. In fact, uh, I'll do my part and I'll I'll do your part. Okay? Uh, that sounds fair. I'll talk, I'll talk about how you know I coded Maniac and, and, uh, <laughs> Monkey Island or something. So yeah, something like that. Yeah. 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 Maniac Maniac Island, whatever. The Maniac is. Island. It sounds really good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of things you could do. Um, but yeah, today uh, we have uh, Ron and Gary, and they are working on releasing a new game, and they have a Kickstarter up for it called Thimbleweed Park, that, if I'm right, is very much a, a throwback-style game to the heydays of adventure games, back when I was enjoying enjoying them as a kid, and, uh, and uh, the industry was kind of new. Um, but yeah, so Thibbleweed Park looks really good. What what led you guys to to start uh, working on that? I uh, you know it was it was kind of a a long process in a way. You know, Gary and I we've never really worked directly together since Maniac Mansion, but you know we've obviously stayed friends and we've always really talked about that that period. You know, that game and that time in those early days of of Lucasfilm games is you know just being some of the most fun of our lives in a way and we you know we started talking you know about uh maybe six or five months ago uh just you know about how much fun it would be to really make a true kind of old school classic point and click adventure game again and we just started talking about it more and more and started to formulate ideas and that's uh, you know really where it came about that's awesome yeah, def- definitely <clears throat> as ron said uh you know, we've both been pretty busy since then, and oh, yeah. so it was it was unique that our schedules kind of lined up where we both had just finished projects, and we sort of, you know, we talk reasonably frequently, and we said, oh, you know, we should do something together. And then Ron was the one who had the brilliant brilliant idea for Kickstarter, but you know, but uh, definitely, oh, yeah. uh, you know, very motivated to do something like this again because, as Ron said, that was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, no, and uh, Kickstarter has worked out uh, really well for adventure gaming. We'll say that uh, specifically, of course, with Double Fine and uh, with your guys' new project. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Thimbleweed Park—it certainly reminds me uh, artistically of, of Maniac Mansion. Um, well, one of the things about the the entire you know graphics for something like Maniac Mansion and wanting to go back to sort of that whole retro feel is. For both of us, we want to sort of relive that nostalgic time, what it was like to make that thing, and we had a lot of fun making it. And if we can have a lot, we can recreate that feeling of having fun, we think the players will also enjoy that as well. And relative to the whole graphic approach, one of the things about those graphics, at least from my perspective being an artist, but Ron and I figured this out together, is that there's some, there's a sort of an innocence and a charm to those graphics. Um, people can look at the, those graphics, and it's sort of like playing with colorful animated icons where you sort of understand immediately what's going on and on top of that every rivet of the world is not filled in in 3D you can kind of fill that in with your imagination and I think there's sort of a real you know interesting feel to that because you don't get a lot of that and you can look at something like Minecraft as an example and say you know 
there's a lot going on because people are able to immediately recognize the iconic nature of those kind of graphics. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, a little image, it it represents a chainsaw and a can of gasoline. You know, it's not actually a chainsaw and a, gasoline, a can of gasoline. Right, I, and right. I think that's I think that's what people find very compelling about a lot of the you know, retro 8-bit stuff going on is is it's this weird kind of artistic representation of things. And, and you know, I, I think people like that a lot. I mean, I certainly do. I mean, I love old 8-bit graphics and things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was actually, I'd been thinking about that a, a lot lately, how, uh, I don't know how, how you guys feel that 3D has kind of uh, done a lot of, I, I wouldn't say damage but it just it doesn't have the same narrative feel as an adventure game you can't or as like a 2d adventure game you know i i think that you know 3d done well has a place and if that's really the the feeling that that the designers are trying to evoke i think it can be a very effective feeling the same way that 2d is i mean you can look at a 2d movie you can look at a 3d movie i mean one of the problems with 3d if it's done poorly is it has this very plasticky kind of i'm going to use the oh, word, yeah. un, you know unemotional feel to it it doesn't it doesn't feel like it connects to you, whereas we feel this stuff connects to a nostalgic bone in our bodies, if you know what I mean. Sure. It also feels like a lot of a lot of 3D <laughs> is there there's kind of this this technical challenge to it, to to making it look very realistic and making it look like the real world and and I think we're we're kind of just reaching the stage that people are going to start to explore 3D in more than just representing the real world but but representing now an artistic style that is right. also in the real world and you know 2D's always had to represent a, a an artistic style because that's kind of all we had right we could not represent the real world with that stuff and i think 3D is kind of you know it's kind of getting there in a way and but but we're kind of just on on the cusp of that i think people are still you know impressed with the technology of 3D and they haven't haven't really pushed through to exploring the artistic part of 3D yet yeah, I actually, yeah, I can, I can see that exactly, and it's gotten to the point too with 3D that it's not even in Kenny Valley or anything really going on. It's more like the we've gotten to the point with 3D where everything looks really good in 3D. We're just adding tons more activity to it and tons mm -hmm. more like detail and yeah. and little moving pieces. So, yeah, I mean, games like uh, Borderlands, etc., have have tried some interesting things, but uh, I I am always interested in the more, um, I guess, surreal or uh, abstract representations of 3D, and and hopefully we will start to see more of those. Yeah, and and one last thing on a practical level, if we were trying to do this in 3D, <laughs> our budget wouldn't be three hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. Our budget would be three million dollars. You know, it's just you know that just adds a lot of people and a lot of time and a lot of cycles and a lot of cost to make yeah. a project. And, you know, once again, I like 3D, but it's it, it becomes a monstrous under, undertaking, especially if you're going to build a game of the scope that we want to build, which yeah. is going to be a very, you know, uh, you know, rich world in terms of locations, in terms of characters. And one of the ways we, we can pr portray that in this, you know, iconic way is go, you know, here, I'm the Scotty dog from, from Monopoly, you know what I mean? So, so you know, you guys, you worked on a uh, Maniac Mansion, and that had to be—that was your first. That was the only time you've worked together directly. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, in terms of in terms of having that kind of a synergy, I mean, you know, 
I was the art director sort of on Monkey Island and stuff like that, so yeah. I'd show up for meetings and talk to Ron, but effectively as far as actually designing the game together and, you know, actually going through and doing the nuts and bolts of the design, we haven't really done that together since Maniac. Oh, okay, wow. So, yeah, this is a... Uh... This is going to be an interesting uh, undertaking, then. Yeah, it's a it's, it's a weird kind of reunion in some ways. Yeah, yeah, it's been uh, in yeah, the building but... for a while. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll. I mean, we'll see if we still get along. Yeah, I mean, who knows in six months, right? Yeah, Ron is famous for hating everybody he works with. <laughs> he just forgot that he hated me. <laughs> yeah, it takes twenty-five years to forget that. Speaking of uh, enjoying your work and having people. You know, enjoy the work as well. You can you can certainly tell that in certain games, um, and you can certainly tell it with the yeah Maniac Mansion, Secret of Monkey Island, and uh, all of the earlier games. Um, how do you uh, have you ever made a game you just didn't didn't feel it or didn't enjoy it, and you felt it affected your work? I don't know that I've ever you know completely worked on one that that that's happened i've i've been very fortunate in my career that i've always been able to work on projects that i wanted to sure you know they were they were most of them are projects that i initiated at some level uh and, and you know I, f- I feel extremely fortunate to be able to have done that so I, I don't know that there's really anything that i just i just you know plotted my way through and you know couldn't wait to, for it to be over Sure. I mean, I mean, I did a lot of artwork work for higher stuff. For what it's worth, everything's kind of a challenge, and I don't think I really hated anything I did. Some of the things I just wanted to get through, <laughs> but for the most part, um, I, I don't, I can't really, you know, put my finger on anything that was absolutely horrible and awful. Because one of the things I will say about working in this kind of business, it's a very creative business, and if you're going to work in the design part of it or the art part of it, there's, you know, there's there's certainly enough of a challenge and enough of you know, I would say creative um, satisfaction in doing it, at least for me, that um, I really in pretty much enjoyed my entire career. Uh-huh. This is just icing on the cake. Yeah, I think, you know, whenever you're working on something, you always look for some piece of it that really excites you. You know, and you you know you may not be interested in a in a bunch of parts of it, but if there's a couple of parts of it that that really excites you, you know, I, I think that can really translate into into something very you know, very, very fun, and and you see that you know in the in the final in the final result too. As opposed to being you know uh, an artist who works on a movie and all you do is the you know shadows for Casper the friendly ghost for like you know a year and a half. I have friends who've done stuff like that at ILM, you know, where they just stick them. So I feel fortunate having been involved in an industry where the amount of I would say input that the creative people have generally in a game is is a lot. You know, you're not really segmented to just doing something that's kind of mundane, typically. Yeah, and that's that's very true of, of small teams of people, which which is one of the things I really enjoyed about you know working at Lucas uh, Film back when we did. Is you know we had very very small teams of people. Maniac Mansion was was three people. That was the entire team, and. You know, I see, I see the industry kind of getting back to that. You know, we we really exploded into these very, very large teams, and then, you know, just a few years ago, there's this whole kind of, you know, surgence of indie games where games were back to being made by a couple of people again, and and that's to me a very, very exciting environment to be in. And you know, one of the things I'm really looking forward to with Thimbleweed Park is that you know it's going to be just Gary and me for months, and then you know we'll bring on a couple of other 
people and that's you know that's really the team and that's that's exciting oh yeah absolutely i mean and kickstarter did or well mostly it was largely kickstarter did kind of usher in this age of projects that are getting made that might not have otherwise um, yeah, because we, we could say definitely wouldn't have been made otherwise. <laughs> well, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine a publisher picking up something like Thimbleweed Park. You know, it's just it's it's not the kind of game you know that that they're really interested in. But it's it's the kind of game that there's a lot of people out there who would love to play it, and being able to go directly to them in a way it's is a great way to to you know to to fund this kind of stuff and i think that's why adventure games have seen a nice resurgence cuz you know they got pushed a little bit to the to the background mm-hmm. and now this is kind of a way that the fans of those games can you know can kind of kind of you know put their money towards this stuff again another one of the things that's really interesting about adventure gaming is that when we worked at lucasfilm the buzzword that we talked about for years and years was doing interactive movies, and Steven Spielberg wanted to do that, and yeah. George wanted to do that, and nobody could really figure out how to do that. But, you know, I'll go out on a limb and say, you know, the missing link between, you know, games and movies is adventure games in terms of getting to a place where we mm. can finally do an interactive movie. This is sort of the, you know, the path, along the path to actually make that happen in real life. So the more we explore adventure games and interactive, you know, stories, the more likely we are to, at some point, actually achieve that. Yeah. Yeah, I think narr- narrative in in games is is a very strong element because I think there's just something built into us as human beings that we love stories. Right. You know, it's I think it's how how we learned knowledge a long time ago is just telling stories, and it's you know it's how you teach kids things is by telling them stories, and there's just something about stories that we just intrinsically love, and you know, I, so it's kind of one of the reasons I think narrative and gaming is is so powerful, and adventure games are are a really good, you know, a form of narrative and gaming. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I will say, uh, I was I've been pretty interested in the Telltale games. I, what do you guys think about the stuff that they've been doing? Yeah, I, I think they're very. I think they're very interesting. I mean, they've certainly found you know a really good niche with that stuff yeah and you know they're kind of very very you know good at it i don't know it's the kind of game that i would want to design sure you know i tend when i'm when i'm doing narrative stuff i i do tend to like the more classical you know point and click adventure mm-hmm. gamey approach but i mean certainly they're 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 doing really good stuff and i think they're breaking some interesting ground in terms of you know what that narrative and gaming can be yeah i like the way that stuff looks definitely yeah i just uh i just try finish the first chapter of the game of thrones um game what do you what do you you think uh it's it's really good um you know i is it gonna spoil anything because i'm only like two seasons into the you you should should wait not play it yeah okay play it after season three you're fine after Uh, season three okay and then yeah it's an r-rated game oh yeah yeah it's not Mm. a it's not real kid friendly is it is it is it is it like the series in terms of i'm gonna say the level of you know uh I'm just going to say the level of, of adult um, content. Yeah, you know, it's of. it's very bloody, and uh, so far there's a lot of strong language. I it's, I don't think I've seen any nudity or anything, but yeah, there's a lot of a lot of blood and a lot of strong language. Mm. Yeah, well, maybe maybe I will wait then until I 
seen another season because I certainly I haven't read the books. Yeah. So I've you know I've only seen the you know the HBO show and I and so I, I I've I've been a little leery about starting it up for that reason alone. No, yeah, well that's understandable. And yeah, basically what happens is that it takes place at the end of what I think season three is on the show. So oh, okay. after you've watched season three, you would be current with the storyline. Okay. <clears throat> but it's right. it's a. It's excellent uh, so far. I, I'm I'm really surprised. I liked that, and uh, I liked The Wolf Among Us because I, I like mm-hmm. Bill Willingham. Um, yeah, that I haven't played. I haven't played The Wolf, Wolf Among Us. But uh, and, and The Walking Dead was fine too. Uh, I remember being incredibly excited. They're the ones that picked up the Monkey Island license for a while, right? Yeah, they did. They did that. That kind of. I think it was a five episode yeah. Uh, series. Yeah, it, uh, for the thing. Yeah, it didn't really do much for me but I was excited about it at the time yeah I mean that was kind of before The Walking Dead came out and, yeah. and they found that they found that you know that little niche that they have in that stuff yeah so I, I you know I think Monkey Island was was kind of at the at the tail end of, of them trying to do more classic uh, you know point and click games yeah they did, they did a Sam and Max game as well yeah yeah yeah, they did that. They did that weird Back to the Future game that didn't do very well. And and I guess a lot of the guys there are ex Lucas guys. Hmm. Well, that actually makes yeah, a lot the, of sense. Yeah, the people that started uh, Telltale and stuff were, were ex Lucas people, yeah. Um, you know, and speaking of uh, things you've worked on that have been picked up, sort of, uh, did you try Planetary Annihilation? No, I haven't. I backed the Kickstarter, but I haven't. Uh, I haven't played. I haven't played it yet. Yeah, it's a. Yeah, I, I was just I mean, curious. It's really about neat. That. I mean, that whole idea of of putting that RTS, you know, on the, on that on the globe, I thought was super super clever. Yeah, and I will say, is one of the most memorable moments I had with it was uh, having uh, my friend Tom Chick. Uh, we were playing a game, and he fired a moon into one of my planets, and uh, <laughs> that was that was different. I've never seen half of a planet, basically an entire planet, just explode in a game. <laughs> Uh, firing a moon into your planet. Yeah, it was messed up. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty cool because you could build like these giant rocket boosters on one side and then just shoot it off uh-huh. at the other enemy. Or at the enemy. So you worked uh, for, with Lucas for a long time, and then you, you went to you, you worked on Total Annihilation. And you had kind of a, a big break. What brought you back uh, into the gaming, Ron? Well, I did, you know, I, I finished up at Lucas and then I started Humongous Entertainment, right. which did the kids' games, you know, Putt-Putt and Pajama Sam and, and all right. that. And then, you know, Total Annihilation, I mean, it was it was, it was was part of a, uh, you know, a brand, you know, that we called Cave Dog Entertainment, but it was really part of the same company, you know, right. Humongous Entertainment, right? That was just kind of one big company in a way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I took a break for a while. I did, you know, a, a several kind of casual games uh, with a friend of mine, Clayton Kozlarik, that lives, uh, you know, up in Seattle. I did some casual games with him, and then, you know, I went off and I did uh, Death Bank, which was yeah. kind of this RPG, you know, adventure game hybrid that came out on, you know, Xbox, PlayStation, PC. I did that. You know, and then I did, um, you know, I went and did The Cave. You know, that's yeah. when I worked at Double Fine for like a year and a half and did that. And, you know, then I went and I did, you know, some, uh, you know, iOS and Android stuff, Scrivy Scallywag. So, I, don't, I mean, it doesn't feel like I ever left. You know, I've still just kind of always been doing been doing stuff, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess it was just, you know, from uh, from my perspective, being a, a big-time adventure gamer, uh 
and then I did play Death's Bank and uh, the Cave and everything. But yeah, I I guess I missed out on a lot of the humongous entertainment stuff um, for being kids' games. I, um, but uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, you've had a, a quite a resurgence. I enjoyed Death's Bank quite a bit. Actually, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, wife. that was a, that was a fun game to make. I really, I mean, I, I I enjoyed I enjoyed making that game quite a bit. I mean, certainly Thimbleweed Park is is a return to that you know those point and click routes. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I mean, the the humongous entertainment stuff was was definitely point and click adventure games, but you know they were they were for kids, so they sure. were kind of simplified. But you know, I I haven't done anything like Thimbleweed Park since Monkey Island. So that's that's definitely a return, and I'm really looking forward to that. You didn't have a lot of dead bodies on those humongous adventures, I guess. No, we didn't. <laughs> there were no no dead bodies found in the river in Jamma Sam. No, <laughs> well, might have been a different game then. <laughs> we tried to avoid corpses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard they they don't test well in children's yeah, entertainment. Little, little little pro tip there if you're making kids <laughs> games. And uh, I mean, from a uh, artwork. Uh, perspective uh gary you've worked on quite a few things that i'm really fond of like loom for instance uh sure, you um, did a lot of work on loom in fact i did most of the animation on loom uh, mark ferrari who actually might you know uh come back and join us to do a little bit of work on this oh. i don't know if you know who mark is but he awesome. did all of the backgrounds on loom and he was just you know amazing he did this amazing color color cycling stuff when in those days you know it was what can we do that's different and unique and color cycling was this really interesting thing and Mark really took to that and he did some amazing stuff and you know I've been in contact with him in the last few months and he's interested in maybe you know coming around and helping out on a couple of things and we'll see where that goes so definitely you know worked at Lucas for a while then I went off and formed a uh, commercial art actually I went to work with a company called um, uh uh, Orbital Studios with my friends AJ Redmer and Carl Buter, and we did a few games. We did a game. I did. A, I actually did a kids game for Virgin Sound and Vision called Dynanauts, oh, and cool. then um, did a, a number of other things. Uh, worked with uh, started up a startup a couple of years ago called Suddenly Social with Chip Morningstar, Randy Farmer, and Noah Falstein, who are all Lucas alumni, and we were doing sort of massively scalable multiplayer stuff for mobile. And that kind of went away. And then most recently, I've been actually just writing and drawing comic books. I did a book called Bad Dreams, which came out as five issues from a company called Red Five, and that's being collected as a trade paperback that will be out in Barnes and Noble and places like that in, I believe, February. I'm actually glad to hear that. I was going to ask you about that because I, I'm a comic guy, but I haven't been buying singles for years. And uh, yeah, I was going to ask you if there's a TPB coming out because uh, I've seen the artwork is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Oh, yeah. Well, here's the thing. You know, when when we did, I would have just liked to have done a trade paperback, but basically what Paul at Red 5 told me was that if you don't do floppies, and that's what they seem to call the single individual <laughs> issues in the trade, floppies. call them floppies, <laughs> he said it's like going straight to video. Really? So basically that's why we did the five-issue miniseries, which got relatively good reaction from people, but, you know, the whole point of it was to do the trade paperback. Yeah, it seems like it reviewed very well. Uh, sold out really early on issue one, in fact. Um... Yeah, I mean, to a certain degree, I, you know, I won't get into sort of how the numerics of that work. It's, you know, it's it, you know, has to do with, like, very few distributors and things mm -hmm. like that, but overall, we're pleased with how it did. Yeah, no, it's it's very exciting stuff, and I I I see that you you've worked in comics before. I mean, I you know I, I've looked around. How is it uh, returning? 
after a time. Um, returning to comics. Well, uh, like I said, I don't want to dwell too much on this, but do you know who Neil Adams is? It sounds familiar, but not right okay. off the top of my head. Uh, I went to work for him in 1972 after mm-hmm. I got out of high school, and he was drawing Batman and the X-Men at the same time. So he was like, you know, an amazing kind of guy. And, uh, you know, I went there and I worked in, you know, in those days you had to go to New York if you wanted to draw comics. The world has changed so dramatically with the internet (laughs) and everything else, if you know what I mean. And so, um, you know, that was great and I learned a lot while I was in there. But um, once again, comics to a certain degree are becoming very much more of an indie business as well. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, obviously you have Marvel, DC and Dark Horse, which are sort of your biggest companies. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of indie stuff going on. And in fact, Kickstarter is feeling that as well. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I've always, and then, I'm sorry, I've always been drawn to the indie comics anyway. To be honest, like my favorites are like Hellboy and uh, stuff like that. Oh yeah, Mignola's awesome. I, I'm, I'm I'm friends with Mike. But anyway, the other thing I will say too is that once again, the internet and things like the iPad, you know, have made delivery of comics, you know, digitally an amazing, a, a huge business mm-hmm. as well. You know, with Amazon acquiring, um, you know. Uh, comicology and stuff like that. So there's this there's this huge business that's now become even huger because the cost of creating you know issues it, once you once you've made it and you've put it out in the world you know as a, as a paper book digitally the cost is negligible. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, what's there? Yeah. What do you have to really pay for other than bandwidth yeah, and space? Electrons. Right. You know. All right. It's, yeah, really, the internet has changed a lot of worlds. I mean, video games and video game design—you uh, can work so yeah, remotely with everybody. Movies and everything. Movies and television—you know, everything has just changed because of the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. So the world's a different place than it was. You know, H.G. Okay. Wells didn't predict it. Where's my flying cars? You know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah. No, I mean I, I uh, around the the time I was playing Monkey Island, I got my first uh, my first modem. I think it was a Hayes plug into the wall, uh, prodigy thing, and uh, yeah, it's it's come quite a while, uh, quite a ways from prodigy and like AOL and uh, independent like bulletin board services. Yeah, I remember those. I remember log logging onto those little BBSs. And, oh yeah, and doing that stuff. Yeah, I mean, even then, you know, logging on to those little BBSs, I never envisioned the internet. Mm. It's like you know, I no. kind of envisioned these little silos like that, but everything and everybody being interconnected like we're right now, I just, I just never would have seen that. It's weird. Yeah. It's intensely I, I ridiculous. Mean, we, <laughs> we did Habitat. I did that with you know. Uh, Chip and Randy. Ron, did you have any involvement with that at all? I can't remember. I, you know, I contributed a very small amount of code to it because you know they were doing Habitat at the same time that I was doing Maniac Mansion. So there was a little bit of of code sharing, but but not a lot now. Yeah, and and those guys were just too early. I mean, if those guys had been doing that, you know, at the right time, it would have been a, a very different story. But very interesting, sort of very unique experience, and we sort of, you know piggybacked on all those experiences to get where we are today. BBS has had such a kind of a weird influence too. I mean, a lot of those uh, door games were wildly popular like um, Trade Wars uh, stuff like that. Uh, BBS's were, were strange. Um, and yeah, I absolutely couldn't have imagined imagined it myself. 
because yeah, there were a few different types. There was like major BBS, which was more like a chat BBS with multiple people. And then there was the virtual, right. the virtuals, which had like the the boards and the door games and stuff. And then yeah, it just kind of the internet kind of came out of nowhere after that for me. Yeah, what kind of amazes me about the internet is is um, you know, in addition to all the people that are connected, it's all the things that are connected. Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, people's refrigerators are on the internet <laughs> these days. And it's just it's just weird to me to think that all this stuff is just somehow all talking to each other in this, you know, secret little hidden language that yeah. I don't really understand. It's somewhat horrifying. <laughs> Yeah, it's like my refrigerator and my toaster are conspiring against me right now. I can tell it. it, It's like, and you could see something like this. Well, actually not because it's 1987 in Thimbleweed Park. But basically, you know, you go on your mobile phone and you can, like, shop for your groceries. And then, like, you know, you come home and the turkey's cooked. Hopefully it won't be like a cat in the oven made up like a turkey or something like that. Sure. But, you know, it it is pretty amazing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Speaking of uh, interconnected games... um, yeah, what do you guys think about, say, uh, like the the MMO scene for for narrative and just gameplay itself? Ron plays is... World of Warcraft. Yeah, so well, do I. Don't I. Need more. Well, okay, that's not really true. I just started playing again. Me too. But I I had stopped for like a year and a half. I you know I spent maybe four years in a hardcore raiding guild. Yeah. You know where we 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 raided three nights a week. You know, and then plus there was the you know the other you know two or three nights I just had to play on my own. So I you know I played thousands of hours of World of Warcraft and. I found it really fascinating, and I don't know that I liked World of Warcraft for the narrative aspect. Well, no, yeah, I agree with I, you. I don't know that I could even tell you really anything that's going on in that world. I know it has this incredibly deep and rich story, but to me, I don't really care about it. No. Uh... To me, it was all about my guild and those friends and just the social aspect of getting together with these people three times a week. Oh yeah, absolutely, and you know, I mean, Blizzard just handled it really well. Um, yeah, they they did a great job. Like, I never got into, uh, you know, Ultima Online or um, EverQuest. I just none of those ever grabbed me for more than like an hour of messing around with them. But there was something about World of Warcraft that I just fell into and loved it. Yeah, I mean, people are still chasing that. I don't know. Uh, if there's going to be anything to supplant it, you know, I mean, every year I would think, oh, well, surely somebody eventually, blah, blah, blah. But I think somebody will supplant it when somebody does something that's that's truly different. I bet it'll be and Blizzard. It, 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 it could be, although they canceled their latest. I know. Oh, Titan, Titan was it, or Titanfall? Or, I think no, it was, I think it was yeah. Titan. It looked really yeah, cool to me, Titan. I don't know. Yeah, they canceled that, and I was I was kind of wondering what's going on um, with that. Um, yeah. But yeah, maybe they will, or somebody will just come out of left field, you know, and and do something completely new. But it does feel like a lot of companies are just trying to emulate World of Warcraft at some level, and that's that's kind of where I I don't think they're going to really be successful because World of Warcraft did it so well. Somebody's going to have to have the reach of Blizzard. Well, maybe not the reach, but the 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 interesting franchise that Blizzard has, or something at least of that interest level, and be able to yeah design a very solid game, and nobody's really been able to do it. I mean, ESO was kind of a huge letdown. Um, yeah, I think that I've I've found myself 
so invested in World of Warcraft. Just, you know, in terms of what the mechanics were and, mm. you know, how I fought and how I moved around the world, that whenever a new MMO came out, I would kind of look at it and I'd go, God, that's a lot of work to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. I think I'll just keep playing World of Warcraft. You know, and 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 the, I think the I think Blizzard has this momentum with you know people just don't want to learn something new right now, and 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 I do think that's kind of you know what keeps them going at some level. Right. I mean, and as you said, I mean, people you know have thousands and thousands of hours in these yeah. games, like, and a lot of people. It's not just like oh, a few hardcore people. I mean, a lot of people have yeah. a lot of hours in that game. Yeah, I mean, I, I I I hate to admit this, but I have three World of Warcraft accounts. I have two. I have two. And and they are they are filled with characters, you know. Yeah. And yeah, there. I have way too much invested in that game, and I and I did stop playing, you know, but about about halfway through the caves production, I just stopped playing because I just I needed to focus on the cave right? Yeah. and not play World of Warcraft. <laughs> So I kind of quit playing, and that was the kind of that was the time that my guild was kind of collapsing. So it kind of made sense that you know this is a good time to quit. Yeah. And I really hadn't played until um, you know Warlords just came out. And right. So I kind of started playing it again, and you know I've been playing it kind of regularly. I have not gotten into a guild yet, and that, I think that's the only thing that's saving me is I'm just I'm just questing right now. Yeah, and the mission stuff's pretty cool too. I like the missions. Yeah, it is. It is good. I you guys it. are both geeks, man. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> but yeah, the the the, uh, the their design is is just really top notch, and I I'm actually kind of surprised that we haven't seen something with um, the StarCraft franchise, um, which oh, like a, like an MMO. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but they've always they've canceled a lot of futuristic games. If you think about it, they canceled Ghost, they canceled Titan, um, but they are uh, releasing the multiplayer from it, which is strange. Uh, I think they announced that at BlizzCon. I don't know if you guys saw that, um, but yeah, the multiplayer is, is the is, oh that that's that that's that like Team um, Fortress looking thing. Yeah, the Team Fortress thing is that from is that from Titan? That's what I'm to is understand that a... is that that was the part oh. they liked of Titan, so they kept oh, it and just kind of dressed it that's up. That's very interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, but yes, Overwatch and uh, yeah, they announced a, a couple of things, of course, but most of them weren't really a surprise. Overwatch was the new thing. They've got a lot of irons in the fire, but I think World of Warcraft still that and Diablo three are probably well. I don't know. Starcraft two is really popular too. So they do have three really big franchises. Yeah, they do. I mean, those are three of the biggest franchises in the industry, if you think about it. Yeah. Right yeah, Diablo's ludicrous. I mean, Diablo 2 sold more copies than anything ever. Um, and it's just still popular. So, I mean, it's just... Did you play Diablo 3? Yes. Yes. Uh, and I... What, what did you think of it? Uh, that depends. Uh, is it before or after the big patch you know because like I liked it at first quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, and I played through it and I played quite uh, you know a lot and then just uh, I, I lost interest the auction house and everything wasn't a big big draw for me uh, and then when they removed the auction house and like released the expansion and everything uh, it's it's drawn a lot of people back in I think it's a much better game Mm-hmm. I have I haven't played it since they did that. I played it when it first came out, and the whole real world auction house really turned me off. Oh yeah, and I and I kind of quit playing, and I've never really picked it up 
since then? Uh, the Reaper of Souls is a pretty awesome expansion for for that game. Uh, the whole removing of stuff, and then they randomize quests and things. Now there's the whole like adventure mode. It's it's uh-huh. it's pretty interesting. I saw yeah. they did a lot of stuff with that game. Um, well, when I when I finish World of Warcraft, <laughs> when you complete it, uh-huh. yeah. finish. Yeah, yeah, uh, right. yeah. <laughs> you're going to be working for the next year and a half. <laughs> yeah, if, if Thimbleweed Park doesn't come out on time, you can blame World of Warcraft for that. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll put that out there. That should you should <laughs> you should put that. That should be a box quote quote or something. <laughs> I think, I think Ron has actually used that as a quote in some of his. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I just, I just blame World of Warcraft for everything. Yeah, I mean, and they don't care. They got money. You mentioned earlier that uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg had always wanted to to bridge the gap between adventure gaming and uh, they, Spielberg did actually write at least one game I can think of. But you guys weren't really involved with that, were you? The Dig. The Dig. Um, uh, actually. I know a fair. I mean, the dig went through a bunch of um, iterations before it actually became the game right. it became. And so it had been, I'm going to say, floating around the division for a, a while. Ron probably has some stories about that. I certainly, you know, worked with a number of people who did different. You know, there were different rounds of concept work that would, sh- you know, once a year we'd do a round of concept work on the dig and then forget about it. <laughs> so, um, but Ron might be able to tell you a little bit more about that. The whole genesis of that, definitely, but. Um, yeah, you the, know. Dig, the dig started out, and I was actually um, on the project. It was it was be- it was between um, I, I believe the I can't remember the exact timing. It was before Monkey Island, and and I was I was on that you know very temporarily. Noah Falstein and I I think were the first two people that started working um, working on the dig. And then that kind of got shelved and resurrected and shelved and resurrected. And I think that happened like four times you know, before Brian the game actually. Yeah, Brian worked on it, and yeah, it was it was it was this weird project that that kept you know coming to life and dying and coming back to life uh, before it before it eventually came out. Yeah, if Spielberg's name wasn't attached to it, it probably would have just died. Yeah, it probably would have. Yeah, yeah I mean, I liked the finished product. I actually uh, enjoyed the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, was it one of those things that was more like based on a concept that Steven Spielberg wrote on a napkin somewhere or something? Yeah, he, yeah, <laughs> he, he he did have the original concept, and I and I don't. He probably was talking to George about it, you know, yeah. at some point, and that's kind of how it, you know, how it started up. Um, you know, it it, re- it really did start from him and and a story idea. But you know, I I remember Noah and I had you know one meeting with him to kind of brainstorm stuff and then i don't know how much you know involvement he had in it after that right right it was uh yeah that that game um yeah i really enjoyed that game i i remember that and uh around the same time was when the uh, the second indiana jones game came out the uh fate of atlantis right yeah right yeah yeah those were it, it was uh, it was always like a different uh, art engine uh, was used in between the two or something. It, it, it was a no. no. It was no. it was all the scum system and still until Grim Fandango. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. It all it all used it all used the same engine. I mean, the engine kept you know changing. Oh, sure, upgraded. You know, we kept upgrading and stuff, but yeah, it, it was all the scum engine until Grim. No, oh, it's awesome. Yeah, the scum engine is quite famous at this point. <laughs> yeah, uh, the scum bar. Um, 
But yeah, so then I, I just, out of curiosity, how much was George Lucas involved with you guys on a day-to-day? Not day-to-day, not, not at all. Um, I mean, not to say that he didn't care, right? but honestly, he was busy doing other things. And because the main business of Lucasfilm was to make movies, mm-hmm. uh, there were a bunch of other divisions. Obviously, Pixar was a division that was trying to make movies at the time, and there were Droidworks, which were trying to do technology-related things, and there was us. And the industry was a real different industry when we first got into it because computer gaming was all still kind of more of a hobbyist market. I mean, Very it's much, yeah. later, later with, you know, Rebel, Rebel Assault and things like that mm-hmm. and X-Wing. But in the beginning, it was, you know, very much, you know, actually the way the games division started was Atari, which was in, you know, mm-hmm. the Bay Area as well. And they knew George Lucas was in the Bay Area. And somebody at, the Atari, at Atari, I don't know who, got the brilliant idea that, you know, there's a lot of crossover between our audience and the people who like Star Wars. So we should give George Lucas a million dollars to do something interesting for us. <laughs> so basically they gave George Lucas a million bucks to, you know, do some interesting games. And the first two games were Ball Blazer and Rescue on Fractalus that we did. Right. And so that was the genesis of the games division. And George would come around, maybe I'm going to say this, you know, once every few months and sort of check in and usually check in with the upper management of the group, which would either be Peter or Steve or Arnold, depending on who was there. And we'd be involved to the extent that if we had a game to show George, we would show it to him. And he might make a couple of comments, but for the most part, he was busy making movies and stuff like that. Yeah. And then the other thing was we didn't make Star Wars games because all oh. that stuff had been licensed previously. Right. And if we had been making Star Wars games, he might have paid more attention to it. But basically, our charter at the time was, you guys can't make Star Wars games because we're getting paid, you know, a bunch of money from, I'll say, EA or whoever to make those. So you guys should do something, you know, on your own. And because of that, things like, you know, Maniac and Monkey Island exist today because we were basically given the charter to do other things than Star Wars games. Right, right. Yeah, and the uh, Indiana Jones games are incredibly memorable to me. Um I really, I loved Last Crusade. That came a lot. Yeah, the the Indiana Jones games, if I'm remembering this correctly, they were kind of a strange fluke because they had licensed the Indiana Jones stuff out to other companies, just like they did Star Wars. But one of those companies, I think, I think dropped the ball and and basically didn't get a game out, and so they came to us to very quickly get an adventure game out which is really where the last crusade came from you know that was a very very fast game because we had a very short deadline to do that game in <laughs> and remember ron kind of got tossed into or i think ron had started you know thinking about monkey island and they grabbed him and said you have to do this right now you? yeah i mean i i was a good six months into monkey island when the <laughs> indiana jones game came up and they pulled me and david fox and noah falstein you know because we were kind of like you know some of the you had the most experience with the adventure game stuff and said look we need you guys to make this game so we you know we just jumped on that game and monkey island got put on hold while while the indiana jones uh game was made i mean and there's so many great uh crossover lines in monkey island from the indiana jones yeah. game that uh, it does give a little bit more perspective <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> I'm selling these fine leather jackets. Has always been one of my favorites. Yeah, well, I, th- I, I think as as a whole, everybody at, at 
um, you know, working a Lucasfilm game. So we like to make fun of Lucasfilm. You know, we liked we like to make fun of this, you know, corporate entity that owned us. So we, we were always we were always doing stuff. I mean, all those jokes in Monkey Island, you know, everything having a little, you know, TM, a little trademark symbol <laughs> after it. That was just us making fun of Lucasfilm. Because Lucasfilm trademarked everything <laughs> to the point that it was absurd to us. And so we just started making fun of that in Monkey Island and just putting TMs next to everything. <laughs> That's really great. Yeah, now Monkey Island's probably my, my favorite video game. And uh, I will say it's also the first game that ever got me called a name over uh, the internet uh, or a network. Um, I was on Prodigy, uh, they had message boards, and uh, somebody had asked a question about Monkey Island, and uh, I was helping them out, and I said, I'll, if it, I'll, I'll help give you tips if you want tips on the game, and uh, somebody messaged me and called me all sorts of names and a loser, so I, I blame you guys for that. I got flamed for the first time because of Ron Gilbert and Gary Winner. I'm sure that's totally Ron's fault. <laughs> it is. It is. I really did engineer that. I mean, that was... Yeah, I mean, couldn't you have made that game, like, slightly tougher so that, yeah. so that I wouldn't yeah. get picked on? Yeah. <laughs> now, now, if, now if, you, if you cried, Ron got his wish. Oh, well, I hate to say it, but Ron got his wish. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, the, um, the Days of the Adventure games. Did you guys have much contact with Sierra, or was there, like, a huge rivalry? Did you ever rumble? Was, did you stab anyone? Well, we did have some, we had a we, we, game. Yeah, we kind of did rumble. Hell because, yeah. Because um, we... <laughs> there was kind of this, you know, this rivalry, obviously, between us. And one of the neat things about working, um, you know, up at Skywalker Ranch is they actually had their own softball field up there. <laughs> nice. And, you know, and we kind of did a lot of intercompany play where, you know, different, you know, divisions had different softball teams and stuff. And so one of the things we did is we invited Sierra Online to come up to the ranch and we would have a softball game where it was like Lucasfilm versus Sierra, you know, battle to the end softball game. So, yeah, we actually, we actually did have an actual thing with them who won they probably brought up ringers and stuff like that I yeah think. they they totally won oh uh, well I hate, yeah. I hate to say sierra they, man they kicked our ass well you know what they, they pulled they ringers were, they were, you know they did they were they were kicking our ass in sales you know, i, I mean, don't understand king, that king, every single game that sierra came out with like outsold every game that we were making at lucasfilm you know like 10 to 1 that's ludicrous oh it was it was so frustrating to us at the time it's like we got the good reviews but they got the good sales right and that's uh god there's such a huge like difference between the two companies i mean I'm... we were bigger in like europe and germany and places like that I mean, they definitely liked our games, you know, in Germany and places like that. And, and you can see that from our Kickstarter. We have a lot of, you know, UK support and German support and stuff like that. Right. But um, it, it was just, uh, you know, I'm, you know, was, I think there was, you know, marketing machines involved and things like that. And they had a, a real loyal fan base. And uh, I mean, looking at what stood the test of time, I think things like Maniac Mansion <laughs> and Monkey Island and Day of the Tentacle are definitely, you know, got more of a legacy, no. but not necessarily, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily. Yeah, I mean, King's Quest has a huge, a huge following, yeah. right? I mean, that, yeah. I mean, a lot of ways that was, that was really the first graphic adventure wow. was, was King's Quest. You guys right? aren't I mean, big they, Phantasmagoria fans or anything? 
No, I, yeah, I never, I never really played that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I and don't get me wrong, I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed uh, Space Quest. Uh, yeah, I did too. I liked Space Quest, and I liked uh, the end of the ro- the I, roguish one where you would choose a class. I can never remember the name of those games. That was the the Quest for Glory. Quest for Glory. I liked those too. Yeah. Um, but I never really liked King's Quest. They were all just real kind of basic to me. You know? I think I the was... one, the one I didn't. The, I think the series I didn't like of theirs was Police Quest. Mm. <laughs> That was kind of the one, the one series that didn't really... Daryl F. Gates' <laughs> official game <laughs> was, like, a little bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> Were you going to say something, Gary? Well, I was just going to say... I was going to say Police Quest and Leisure Suit Larry and things like that. I mean, you know, they have followings, but once again, I don't think that those things are intrinsically as compelling as things like Monkey Island or, you know, Grim Fandango or oh, no. Throttle or Day of the Tentacle or San and Max. I think that those things are feel much more kind of, I'm going to use the word mundane on a lot of levels to me. And I'll say that. I don't I don't mean to, you know, uh, say that those things, I think that they're good games on certain levels. I just think the stories and the characters aren't as engaging. Oh, no. I mean, Al Lowe had his moments. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, Leisure Suit Larry is kind of the... Uh, well, I'll put it this way. Leisure Suit Larry was much better in its heyday than the ones they've released since. I haven't played yeah, them. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I played the first two and quite enjoyed them, and I, I really haven't... I don't think I've, I've played any of them since the first two well, of them. I had to review a couple of them. It was pretty rough. Um, but yeah, the uh, I never understood that. And, and Sierra was your... That was your competition. I can't really think of many other people that were, you know... I mean, there was... There was a couple of companies that did little things. I mean... I mean, you know... You know, and I don't even know if I quantify. You know, there there are things like mist and stuff right. like that, which I don't Seventh really guess. quite quantify. You know, and that but, that kind of came after the yeah. the point and click. Yeah, they're all gold, kind of puzzly. You know. Yeah, yeah. Or more just kind of straight logic puzzles in a way, or whatever. Yeah. Definitely, you know, not as much stuff that had. I'm going to use the word sort of the character development, story development. Right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's funny. Speaking of, you know, we were talking about 3D games earlier. It's like uh, the, the I think the one adventure game that uh, that does stand out for me is you know, Grim Fandango. You know, as far as 3D goes, and that was a uh, that was a pretty well done game. But yeah, it was Tim, kind of Tim's a really good quasi, designer. I mean, it's this quasi 2D 3D, you know, thing. Like you know, the characters were 3D, but the backgrounds were were kind of more of a 2D thing. I think they, I mean, they tried that in in um in the in the was it the fourth Monkey Island game? Yeah, you know, they did a little bit of that stuff, which which I don't I don't think it really worked. I don't either, me. actually. Yeah, I, I wanted to like them, and it's not like I completely didn't like the Telltale Monkey Island things or or the the later Monkey Islands. They just didn't have the same charm. As the original too, Thimbleweed Park is uh is certainly going to attempt to to scratch the itch of all of those that have missed the the olden days. Yeah. I th- I think it's scratching our itch as <laughs> players, right? It's it's our itch to make yeah. something like that again. Yeah, I mean, if we didn't want to scratch that, it wouldn't exist. But by the same token, if people didn't want it, it wouldn't exist right. because we wouldn't have any money on Kickstarter. And and I will say that I was actually very um, I've been very appreciative and grateful but uh, I was 
you know, surprised and a little amazed at certainly the first five days when it kind of, you know, it funded immediately. That was pretty surprising. Yeah, I was actually, I meant to tell you guys, congratulations on that, because uh, you have certainly uh, surpassed your goal, and um, hopefully you'll reach, uh, you know, your stretch goals, too. Uh, I would love to see the, the 625,000 stretch goal, for sure. So yeah, it's, I'm curious, just as a question, you know, with the, you know, we have the stretch goals for the mobile version, and we have the stretch goal for the mm-hmm. voice version. I mean, which of those interests you more? Um, the the voice or the, or the or the you know iOS and Android version. Personally, for me, it would be the voice. Voice. Yeah. The... Just just doing a little bit of focus testing here. <laughs> and <laughs> I know probably a lot of people are like, curse you for saying that, but uh, <laughs> I'm not as. Uh, as much as I like uh, mobile games and mobile devices, I just, I don't know. I, I can't get into them. They have to be just real simplistic or something that I can't, I don't focus on. Yeah, because Gary and I debated a lot about, you know, the order to put those two sure. stretch goals. You know, should we do the voice first and then mobile second, or should we do the mobile and then the voice? And we just went back and forth on that and finally just kind of settled on this and... But, you know, I mean, hopefully, especially, you know, with the big push that Kickstarters get in their last week or so, hopefully we'll make both of them and it'll just be a mood issue. I would hope that you would. And, you know, with what you're saying, that is absolutely correct. Kickstarters always get, well, not not always, but uh, the popular ones usually do get a boost, like, right at the end. Um, Yeah. And maybe we have people sitting back watching this and one and you know waiting to see what they're going to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I do come across a lot of people who are like, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely going to back, but I haven't done it yet. I'll tell you, and I'm 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 hoping that those people actually do get around to backing, and we do get those two stretch goals, as opposed to just forgetting to back, and then we don't get those two stretch goals. Now, I uh, I certainly I have not, but I certainly will because I have backed every other thing um adventure game related i believe at this point uh and you know of course big fan so but i'm trying to wrangle mine into maybe someone will get me a higher level tier as a christmas present oh, okay. you see what i'm saying here i'm, I'm angling here <laughs> so so you wait a minute you're talking to us and you haven't backed the damn thing <laughs> well, uh, we're talking to you? Well, yeah this and this interview is over <laughs> hey, i still got that i still got that clip that's that's all I got. That's all, that's all I need. You got this one too, man. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that could accidentally get deleted okay, okay. in uh, well, post production. Well, at, at least your heart is in the right. Sounds like your heart's in the right. Place. Oh no, I will. You know, and if somebody helps helps your pocketbook get there, we'll find out. Yeah, no, I I certainly plan on backing it. I just want to kind of try to get to see how much I can milk out of my family for Christmas <laughs> presents to uh to possibly get like way up there. Um. No, I don't. I can't really do the ten thousand dollar one. I want to. I really want to. Well, you know, you could if you wanted to. <laughs> if you wanted to, bad enough. I'm just saying. Oh uh, yeah, I could go rob some. I Listen, I don't think you want it bad enough. That's true. God. I think you could want it badder. I'm. I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so much badder. Uh, <laughs> you know. I mean, what do you got to do? Like pay your rent or your mortgage? <laughs> I mean, yeah, whatever. You know. Got to buy like. You gotta like buy food yeah. or something like. We that. give you the gift of laughter. What are you talking you about, Jason? You don't need to buy. Food. No, that's. I mean, it's overrated. I could lose some weight. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I I already have the. Uh, I have two double fine shirts and a, a signed poster that I believe your your signature is on, Ron. Uh, yes, yes. So uh, yeah. I wouldn't have to do that game anyway. Sign the poster. 
Yeah, I I signed. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how many damn posters I signed. I was wondering that the other day too, because I was I was looking. I was like, I was pretty sure Ron worked on uh, Double Fine Adventure. It's like, what? No. <laughs> it was just uh, it was surprising. He was part of the advisory committee. Right, yeah. That's what I... Because uh, I remember you in the Kickstarter. And I have the signature. Yeah, I, was, I mean, I was just at the tail end of the, yeah. of the Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. No, it, but I was... I mean, I was deep into the cave by the time that Kickstarter... Oh, yeah. I know. I, that was that was kind of my life at that point. And I was very, very busy with that project. And uh, I assumed... Uh, and you can, you can uh, confirm this if you like. That you left because Tim tried to steal your soul. Yeah, that's right. That's what I thought. Is he? He'll do that's that. Right. That's what Tim does. Is steal finally, He's like six hundred years I can, old. I can, I can <laughs> he's just he's stolen. He's got like a shelf of these bottles. Of <laughs> yeah, he's a cruel man. It's horribly cruel man. <laughs> Tim, 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 just so you, Tim Schaefer's a good guy. Rather sound like. Even if he stole my soul. Yeah. I mean, he couldn't have gone to a better guy. That's what you're saying. It's you know, he'll he'll take care of it. If somebody's gonna have to steal my soul, I'm glad. It yeah, was. I was yeah, sure. You know, he's not gonna do too many horrible things to it. You would think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so Thimbleweed Park is uh, when you guys are shooting for what 2016? June 2016. June 2016. Yeah. 18 months project we actually do spend a lot of time figuring out schedules and budgets and make sure that they actually make sense we've we've had enough experience with things that didn't make sense that we really didn't want to go down that road especially when we were responsible for it sure yeah that makes sense yeah being part of like all these projects has to be a huge help or you know earlier projects is uh, one of the biggest problems people have with Kickstarters is underestimating what they're getting themselves into in terms of what's involved in actually making a game, sure. and also just you know underestimating what things like the rewards cost. Uh-huh. We spent a lot of time figuring that stuff out. Oh yes, now rewards are one of those things that I think people screw up the most on Kickstarter. Um, well, I think they don't, especially when they're physical rewards. Mm-hmm. It's like you do, you know, I mean, unless you really dealt with fulfilling physical rewards, you don't realize how expensive. You know, yeah, that stuff is, you know, because we're used to living this weird digital world where, you know, it's just bits and it doesn't really matter. And then you start having to make posters and boxes and comic books and everything else. It's just that's just a lot of work. So, you know, we, we were we were very, very careful about trying to, you know, estimate that stuff and being realistic about it. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, it's not to say we won't screw it all up in the end, but at least, you know, we've we've thought about it. At yeah, least at least we've thought about it before what, we screw what, it all up. One of Ron's you know, things is, you know, what could we screw up today? Let's make sure we try not to screw <laughs> that up. Because Ron is, like, real concerned about what we're going to screw up today. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel like sometimes, you know, I, I get on a Skype call with Gary and we're going over everything, and I'm just Mr. Negative. <laughs> because all I do is just talk about all the things we're going to fuck up next. That's just... That's just that's just the way my brain thinks, you know. It's just trying to figure out all the problems that we're gonna have. Oh, well, I wouldn't have guessed it from the grumpy gamer. It seems like you'd be so <laughs> so upbeat and looking forward to the future. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so with Thimbleweed Park um, coming out in 2016, the uh, the Kickstarter ends in uh, at this recording 13 days, but the people listen to these things whenever. So the Kickstarter uh, ends on the 17th of December. So make sure 18th, 18th, 18th. 18th. oh at 18th of 
10 a.m. 18th at 10 a.m. Oh, okay. Yes, I can't count very good. So it might as well be the 17th, unless you're in like a different country. Right, right. Um, So yes, by um, 10 Pacific on the 18th of December, you have your chance to back the wonderful Ron Gilbert and Gary Winnick when people were responsible for me getting into games, so... I'm sorry. I mean, if, 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 you back, if you back the Kickstarter, you can also get your name in the Thimbleweed Park phone book. That's with a voice message. Re- yes, with your own voicemail message that you can record yourself. I really want that. That, but how much does that cost? That's a fifty dollars. Fifty bucks, really? That's that's yeah, like the yeah. cost of like a Starbucks latte. No, I'm <laughs> I'm gonna spend more than that. So it's like spending a gallon of gas. Well, yeah, roughly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, you should certainly back the project. Uh, I can I can vouch for these guys. Like I said, they're the reason I'm in uh, you know reviewing and gaming as it is. So if uh, it's not our yeah, fault. no, if you have any problems we're with me, respond- we're, we're, we're not taking responsibility <laughs> for you, man. Go you. directly to grumpygamer.com and fill out the uh, no. Uh, we uh. But, uh, absolutely, please check out Thimbleweed Park, and I'd like to thank you guys for taking the time to talk to us um, here at quarter to three. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll come back after you know we've made the damn game. Yeah, no, you should. You should come back and berate me. Um, yeah, definitely. Well, will. And we we can as, talk as more about you... more about World of Warcraft. Yeah, yeah. As long as you give us a good review, you know, oh, yeah. you give us a crappy review, I will be right. Uh, I don't even. <laughs> I'm saying you don't know how many of these interviews Ron and I. You know this this has been a little bit different. Oh well, because Ron did not Ron did not spend 15 minutes talking about World of Warcraft on any of the other ones. Yeah, that's an exclusive. You have an exclusive in this one. Well, I like to think that uh, I ask stranger questions. Most people usually, or or at least uh, I ramble a little bit more too. Uh, But the uh, yeah, um, I would love to have you guys back on anytime and uh thank you for joining us and for everybody out there listening like i said check out thimbleweed park and uh don't forget to rate us on itunes and wherever the hell you can rate quarter to three and uh as always uh we'll be back next week and uh have a good weekend all right thanks a lot yeah thank you